Hello and welcome to this episode of Every Voice Counts. The next three podcasts are going to be very different. They're going to be on the different prisons we visited in British Columbia. I'm here with Senator Pate, who has for over 30 years been a person who has worked on the human rights of prisoners all across the country. And uh, the next three podcasts will be of our visit to William Head, Fraser Valley, and Kent, all prisons in my province of British Columbia. As I already stated, that in the next three visits, we will be discussing the federal prisons in BC. We first visited the the federal prison, William Head, a minimum security prison for men located just outside of Victoria. And as I said to you, I was accompanied by a lifelong prisoner rights advocate, my friend, Senator Kim Pate, along with a member from my staff, Madison Pate Green. Senator Pate, you chose for us to go first to William Head, just outside Victoria. Why did you choose for us to go to William Head first? Well, I think oftentimes the stereotypes people hear about our federal prison system is that it's club-fed. It's And in fact, William Head was the first one to be named club-fed. Uh, and by so Prime I, Minister Harper. Yes, by Prime Minister Harper. And, uh, and so I thought, well, let people see what this, you know, the most open prison is, even though it has a fence all the way around it. It doesn't need to have one because there's an ocean on one side. Um, and it's minimum security. And see what is possible when we actually treat people in a more humane way. Because it is further away than some of the other prisons, sometimes they are able to do passes and, and engage in uh, programs that are more beneficial than they're able to do in the um, in the medium and maximum security prisons. And so I wanted people to see what the the most open of our systems is, and then see uh, you know as we'll talk about in some of the others. But also to see, even in that setting, we heard from staff and prisoners that there is a lack of access to programs, lack of access to the community, uh, and really not the same opportunities that many of us think should exist or do exist, according to law, in our prison setting. So that was the purpose in starting there. And you certainly achieved that because when we entered William Head, there were very few walls, minimum barbed wire, fencing, and I did not see many uniformed guards. Instead, I saw communities of houses where the men cook and clean for themselves. And what was very interesting that uh, there was not the same kind of prison uh, mentality I have that existed at William Head. So that was a good place to start. But um, there were many other different things, and yet it's not that difference. So if I may start with, you know, the staff were, I found, and very gracious, and you know, we started a meeting with them, and I found that they're, they're, uh, they were open and frank, and uh, you know, one response, and I don't know how you would say this, really struck me. And You know, one staff said that he thought that the reason William Head was so successful at preventing violence and helping prisoners is because it did not use traditional 
present tools like weapons, walls, violence to control them. And uh, how did you react? When, I'm sure you've heard this before. How did you react when this staff person said that? Well, one of the things that I was really pleased was that he said it in the presence of not just me. Oftentimes, I'll have people take me aside and say those sorts of things, but they may be uncomfortable saying it in a public setting. Now, this was in front of two senators and our staff, and uh, and basically, the, the you know they were saying the way we have been doing things traditionally within the Correctional Service of Canada is not an effective way to provide quote-unquote, corrections. It's not an appropriate way to model the types of behavior we want to see from people. And I think that is a very important step. It's a big step. And the fact that uh, staff are saying that to us when we're there for official meetings is, I, I think, a very positive move in the right direction. Yeah, you know, uh, I have visited prisons with you and then have before as well. And one of the things that I found it really struck me, and I don't know how you feel about this, is how afterwards we met with the, uh, you know, the prisoners, the inmates, and they had copies of the Human Rights Report, the Senate Human Rights Report. And uh, I was amazed that the staff had made copies for them. And for me, that was uh, a way for them to help the prisoners prepare for our trip. But it was also... Um, I thought a very humane, very kind thing to do to, to because we know prisoners don't have that much ability to print these, especially a fat copy like that. How did you react to that? I was very pleased because, in fact, as you know, in other prisons, people didn't even know the report had been tabled. It had not yet met, uh, been placed in the libraries, which is what was supposed to happen. Every federal penitentiary in this country received copies from the clerk of the Human Rights Committee, and they were all supposed to be placed in the library so the prisoners had access. William Head had gone the next step. Not only was it in the library, they asked us to bring extra copies and they had printed out for the men who were meeting with us copies so they could go through it. And so they provided us with feedback around the things they thought did not go far enough, were not quite accurate from their perspective and based on their experiences of being in uh, various levels because most of the men we met would have cascaded through, would have started at maximum security, gone to medium, then in minimum. And so they would have knowledge of many of, well, all of the issues except perhaps those pertaining to women that were in the report. You know, I've been in the Senate for a long time and often have wondered who reads our reports, right? As I said, who reads our reports, who even bothers to see the inmates had carefully read the report, and not that only that, but they had uh, comments for us as to how we could move further and how this was not far enough. And I wish more of our colleagues could have heard their comments. They were very, very uh, constructive comments, but, but you didn't do this, but you didn't make this recommendation. Something like they gave us a map of what we have to do next, and I found that extremely in interesting. And you know, uh, one of the things that really struck me when we were talking to these men, of course you were more directly involved in the conversation, because you've been directly involved with the report, I not so much, and so I was observing them, and it really hit me that even though the prisoners were in minimal 
security. Some of them had been there for over 20 years. And Canadian public thinks that life means a person is out in 10, 15, or 20 years. Not true. What does life sentence really mean for a lot of prisoners? A life sentence is a life sentence that you never are out from under the sentence. In order to be released um, on or after your parole and eligibility period, you actually have to apply the parole board. You usually have to have the support of your entire case management team um, who do assessments and determine whether you've done programs, whether you're ready to start to integrate into the community. You usually have to have cascaded through. Uh, if you're serving a life sentence, you have to have cascaded through the various levels. Um, and then you have to uh, establish a plan for how you will integrate into the community. But even after that, you're, you are monitored from the moment you leave the prison till you die. And so even people who have dementia, who end up in long-term care homes, they're still under the supervision of the, the Parole Board of Canada. And if you violate any of the conditions of your release, whether it's a curfew, whether it's uh, alcohol or drug prohibitions, whether it is um, programs you're supposed to take, whether it's psychological counseling, those sorts of things, then you can be breached and taken back to the prison. And if you're serving a life sentence and you are breached, it can take, usually takes a minimum of five years more in prison for you to get back out into the community. And so if you're someone who's in there and have you know, done something particularly heinous, then the, it may be, it may take decades, you may never get out of prison. And there are many people who never get out of prison. You know, we did meet one person who had, who had, was out and then he breached, was breached and he had to come back. And, you know, he did say it would be a long time before he could again be released. And it really hit me that I wish Canadians could see that the people sitting around were just like us. They mm -hmm. were human beings just like us. And we forget that these are people just like us. And yes, they've made mistakes. But I would challenge anybody if they have not made mistakes, you know. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's not so easy. And the life, you know, life has a lot of challenges for many different human beings. But even in this almost, almost uh, uh, perf perfect system, uh, your prison system, I wouldn't say it was perfect, don't. Don't get me wrong, Senator Pate, but even here they they had a huge lack of mental health services, lack of trauma healing opportunities, and inadequate addiction services. Is it follows that when a person doesn't have access to programs and services, it's extremely difficult for them to work on issues that led for them to be imprisoned. And yet in a prison, even with all all that we saw at William Head. Even they don't have all the facilities. And that was very difficult to watch, you know. There is, I felt there is no perfect system even in our great country. No, I think you're right. And in fact, when we were doing the, prison, the human rights study of um, the human rights of prisoners, uh, one thing a number of senators said was, well, which country should we look to that has got it right? And we were supposed to, as you know, go to Scandinavia and look at some of the, pro particularly in Norway, where they've done some very progressive approaches, or they've taken very progressive approaches. In the end, the that was kiboshed and we weren't able to go. But throughout it, I kept uh, urging us to look at what the law says and what's actually happening in our prisons. And it was very interesting that a number of lawyers and the correctional investigator and others have come back and they said, 
when we read the report of the Human Rights Committee, the main conclusion we came to was that we need to follow the law, that the biggest issue is the law is not followed. And what your report essentially says is, if you actually followed the law, you'd go a long way towards improving what happens. And I think that's true. I think it, it, I don't mean to sound overly simplistic, but the reality is if, if imprisoning people was the way to create, if longer, more punitive sentences, and particularly imprisonment, were the way to keep a community safer, then the United States should be the safest place in the world. We know that approach does not work. And what we need to be doing is instead looking at what brought people to the place that caused them to do the thing that got them imprisoned in the first place, and how do we ensure other people don't end up there in, um, as well. And that when my my terms or my uh, times working with people who have been victimized, women in particular, almost always when people have been victimized and when I ran programs for uh, people to meet with those who had caused the harm to them in you know restorative and transformative types of uh, programs, to a person, every person who had been victimized said, I want two things. I want to know why me, why was I targeted? And secondly, I want to know how do we stop this from happening to others? So that's that's an objective we have as a country uh, at a micro level for individuals who are directly involved, and it's also a macro level. How do we do this so that we stop uh, more people from being traumatized, harmed, ending up in positions, uh, positions where they then harm other people? And how do we actually create a a community, a country, society, that uh, people experience more fairness, more justice, and more equality. Do you know, after uh, every visit we've had in prisons, I've just been paralyzed and just thinking of everything we heard and what's happened. And many prisoners that we spoke to, many inmates that we spoke to, I felt that, you know, from the time that committed the offense, uh, or uh, and in some cases alleged offense, uh, to the time that they were going to be released was like frozen. They weren't given therapy, they were not given educational programs, and so then then we expect them to come out and be able to function. It was it was very humbling. And you know, uh, uh, I, I know you remember that one of the prison guards said that, you know, uh, that the intention of pr prisons is supposed to be to prepare prisoners for their release. However, in the words of one of the men we spoke to, said that corrections is churning broken people out into the community. And I agree that we are churning uh, broken people out into the community. And still in, in the midst of all these struggles, we saw these homes, we visited these homes in William Hill, and then we met this amazing young man who had been in prison since he was 19. I almost get emotional talking about him. And at, then at the age of 40, he had got a PhD in law, and he was um, uh, he you know he was of indigenous background, and he had really turned his life, but for whatever reason, and I don't know, uh, he's still going to be spending a lot of time in prison. So it is it is a very tough tough place if you don't have the right resources, and you know. Um, uh, what I learned from that young person was that no matter what your circumstances, the right support, anyone can accomplish amazing things. And professors at University of Victoria had helped this young person, not so young anymore, 40, to really accomplish a lot. But yet, he still was facing a long prison sentence, mm -hmm. even though the University of Victoria is willing to 
provide a job for him. So if uh, I come away from William Head thinking that it's almost minimal, minimal security and, you know, got a lot of things right, but we still have a lot of things to work on in the prison system. How did you feel when you finished that tour of William Head? Well, I always come out of a prison humbled by the fact that um, I learn something every time. And one of the things that meeting with that um, gentleman reminded me is how challenging, even when you have those supports, it is to get ahead. Uh, yes, as you mentioned, he got a PhD. I think for people to understand what that means in prison, there's no funding by the prison. Uh, all post-secondary education for prisoners stopped in 1992 uh, when the, uh, the new Corrections and Conditional Release Act was introduced. There used to be satellite uh, so UVic used to have a satellite campus at William Head when I was an undergrad student in the 70s. It no longer has that. And so that means that individual has to, on making $6 a day, and that's to cover everything, his canteen, whatever extras he gets, um, he has to save up his money and pay for every single course. Now, you know what tuition is. I know what tuition is. Imagine doing your undergrad, your master's, and your Ph.D., no wonder it's taken him over 20 years to achieve that. Most of us do that kind of, those degrees within a matter of a decade maximum with significant uh, sacrifice and expense, but it's all the more so if you're in prison. And so not a big surprise that not a lot of people even have high school education. And when you exit the prison, um, well, if you can't get out, that's a whole other matter. But if when you exit the prison without those supports in place, without the skills to actually be able to support yourself and your family, it's a fast track to more challenges, more uh, inequity. And so I think uh, that's that was what I was reminded of, is here's someone who by all external accounts, if he was out in the community getting a PhD, would be seen as an incredible accomplishment. And it is inside. But has it helped him move to the next stage of being able to integrate into the community? And even though he has a job, even though he has an education, he's still um, in prison. You know, leaving William Head, I genuinely felt that us, especially senators, have a lot of work to do. And I look forward to working with you. Thank you very much. Thank you. The next podcast will be on our visit to the Fraser Valley Institution.